Good evening, everyone. Hope you're well. Had a nice weekend. Um, if you haven't got a Bible, now I'm going to move out the sun, actually. If you haven't got a Bible, now might be a good time to go and get one. Polly's at the back with the Bibles, and we'd be very happy to give you one, I'm sure. Um, our reading is from Luke 9. And it's quite short. So I'm just going to read it to us. It's Luke 9 from verse 57. The cost of following Jesus. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Ouch. I don't know if you read that and, and winced. This is a sort of passage that at first glance I sort of wish wasn't really in the Bible. I certainly wish it wasn't the, the passage that was down on the road to when I'm due to speak. <laughs> um, it's quite painful really sort of reading through and, and looking there, the cost of following Jesus. But let's just, just briefly go through it again. So verse 57, somebody says to Jesus, I will follow you no matter where you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds have nests but I don't have a home of my own. So in a slightly cryptic way, Jesus says to him or her, great, follow me, but understand that you might end up without a home. You might end up homeless. In verse 59, Jesus says to another person, come be my disciple and follow me. And the man says, can I just go and bury my dad? Can I just go to my dad's funeral? And Jesus says, no, let the dead bury themselves. You need to come and follow me now. And then finally, somebody approaches Jesus and said, I'd really like to follow you, but I'd like to say goodbye to my family first. And Jesus says, like a farmer who's plowing his field, you must have one goal only. You must look forward. There's no time to look back. No time to say goodbye to your family. Didn't feel any better the second time round, did it really? <laughs> It's not, at first glance, the kind of passage that you'd see as an advert for Christianity. You can just imagine it, can't you? The advert, come follow Jesus. You might end up homeless. You can't go to your dad's funeral. And you might not be able to say goodbye to your family. Come and sign up. So how do we try and understand this? Because that isn't normally how we would try to advertise Christianity. Well, my husband Mark and I have tried to chew this over this week. And here are our thoughts. I'm just going to offer you a couple of thoughts. Firstly, the Bible shows us that when Jesus invited people to follow him 2,000 years ago, the invitation was usually very open and relatively gentle. Indeed, throughout the Bible, my reading is that God tends to coax people to be in a relationship with him. He doesn't force them to walk with him. To illustrate this 
idea of Jesus' calling being quite gentle and quite open, if we just go back to the beginning of Luke and go through some of the chapters, I'll just summarize them for us. You'll see this in the way that he interacts with people. There aren't many of those costs mentioned earlier on in Luke. For example, in Luke 4, Jesus heals a few people, but there's no requirement that they then have to leave their home. In Luke 5, he calls the fishermen to be his disciples, but then when they get scared, he says, don't worry about it. And in the same chapter, he heals a crippled man, and he tells a crippled man to go on his way. He doesn't say, you need to come with me. In Luke 6, Jesus offers a lot of reassurance to people that are suffering. In that very famous bit where he talks about, blessed are those who are suffering and all that. Then in a series of teachings that most people, Christian or not, would agree are quite good moral suggestions, Jesus says things like, love your enemies, give to the poor, don't be a hypocrite. All kind of advice that we would agree is good. In Luke 7, Jesus says, don't cry to a mother who has just lost her child. And I imagine in this scene that Jesus throws his arms around this mother, gives her a huge hug, and then raises his daughter, the daughter back to life. He then leaves the family. They're not expected to leave everything and follow him. And then in Luke 8, Jesus heals a lady who touches his coat. He doesn't ask anything more from her, and he just says, go in peace. So you can see how up to this point in Luke, up to Luke 9, Jesus seems to be almost wooing people to follow him. He's kind of coaxing them to believe that he is the son of God by performing miracles and giving this moral teaching. He calms situations. He reassures people. He speaks of a society where people genuinely care about each other. And he slowly draws them into believing that actually he is worth following. And I would argue that this is the common thread, not just through the Gospels, but throughout the Bible. God doesn't force us to follow him. It's entirely our choice. And then, bam, Luke 9. (laughs) Jesus says, but there is a cost to following me, and you need to be prepared to make some sacrifices. The examples he gives, like I've said, are maybe having to be homeless, missing your dad's funeral, and not being able to say goodbye to your family. So they're not literal requirements, they're just things that, examples of things that Christians might have to give up in order to follow Christ. So why, in the midst of all this coaxing and wooing people to follow him, would Jesus say this and put everybody off? I think firstly, the reason Jesus says this is because he's being realistic. He says it because then, for the early Christians under the scrutiny of the Roman officials. And forever since then, some Christians have had to give up the things that are most precious to them. Here in the UK, our lives are so materially comfortable that that seems like a bit of an alien concept. For example, you don't in the UK have to decide between having a job or being a Christian. You can do both. But in certain countries, like in Pakistan or maybe in Iran or parts of China, to get a job or a certain type of job, you have to not be a Christian. Equally, I don't have to make a choice about being a Christian or seeing my family. 
I can do both because even though there's a lot of people who aren't Christians in my family, they respect the fact that I am. But there's some people who I've met, even in this church, who don't have that choice. They can't see their families because if they told them that they were a Christian, they would be disowned or rejected from their family. In the Roman Empire, before Christianity was acceptable, you could get severely punished for being a Christian. You could get stoned, you could get imprisoned, you might even get crucified. And in some areas of the world today, this passage, rather than making people go, ouch, would actually reassure them that Jesus understood the cost that he was calling them to make. And I think because other Christians do experience these sorts of sacrifices, it's good for us to remember that. I think it's good that Jesus went, bam, this is what being a Christian might look like. It was good that Jesus was realistic. The other reflection I've had this week is that I think sometimes Christians, and me included, have avoided discussing the cost of being a Christian. Some Christians have said, it's okay to believe some of the Bible and try and be nice. God's happy with that. He'll be pleased enough with you. I think sometimes we're a bit blasé about what it means to follow Christ. Perhaps haven't had the integrity we should have. We've said to people, and perhaps believed it ourselves, yes, it's okay to be vaguely Christian and still hold on to your bad habits, your desire to be wealthy, or your vanity, or your unfair treatment of others. But I think that following Jesus' teaching without taking the cost seriously doesn't really make sense. After the terrible riots that we had in London and um, all over the UK a couple of weeks ago, I reread the Ten Commandments. Many commentators use as an explanation of what happened the disappearance of respect for others and slipping morals in our society. I think the reasons for what happened are really complicated, but I do believe that our rejection of the morality of the Ten Commandments is certainly a factor. Many people would read through the Ten Commandments and they would agree with them. They would agree with them as moral statements. So, for example, they would agree with, do not commit adultery. Most people would agree that if we wanted to have fewer broken homes, it would be good if people did not commit adultery. But are we genuinely prepared to make the cost that there is involved in not committing adultery? Because there is a cost and there are sacrifices. Because if you're in a relationship, to not commit adultery means you don't flirt with the dishy guy or girl at work because it's fun. It means you don't send an inappropriate text message to somebody who isn't your partner. It means you don't flirt with somebody online because it feels fun. It means you're not unfaithful to your partner, even if you want something new and exciting. But how many of us are prepared to make that cost or that sacrifice? Because we're human, often we want those things and the thrills that they bring. And sometimes it feels like a cost to do without them. I've had to stop myself from flirting with guys at work because I know that I shouldn't do that and I'm married. And that's a cost to me to do that. But yet it's the right thing to do. 
And I think that David Cameron was not as blunt as me, because he'd probably lose his job if he was. But um, David Cameron talked a lot about uh, responsibilities being as important as rights. And I think he's right. I think there is cost in responsibility. And I think in Luke 6, Jesus says, there are costs involved in following me and accepting my teaching. But in the end, the society that you get will look fantastic. Because if you rewound from Luke 9 back to Luke 6, Jesus paints a picture of a society that looks fantastic. He says people love their enemies, where people turn the other cheek, where people give to those in need, where people lend money to those who can't repay, where people don't judge others, where they don't point out other people's faults, where they don't blame other people. I'd like to be one of those people. I'd really like to live in that society. And I think what Jesus is saying here in Luke 9 is to make that happen, we have to make sacrifices. And there has to be a cost involved. So after all of that, here's the thing. I believe that we need to be prepared to acknowledge that for all of the bits in the Bible where it says, don't worry about anything, I am with you, every now and again Jesus goes, bam, to do this properly you have to make some sacrifices. You can't always have what you want when you want it. So these are some suggestions that I've made to myself this week and I'm just going to share them with you now. Firstly, it's probably important that we ask God about areas in our life where we could perhaps make some more sacrifices. That might be sacrifice of time, it might be sacrifices of our resources, or maybe just in our attitude. Maybe you need to sacrifice a grudge that you hold against someone else. That would be a cost to you, but it would be the right thing to do. As we go into the new academic year, there's so many opportunities to serve at St. Paul's. Just off the top of my head, I know that there needs to be more people that serve at the soup kitchen. There needs to be more people that serve in the youth work or in the children's work. Maybe you could sacrifice some of your time. Secondly, I think that we'd all do well perhaps to remember that for many Christians around the world, being a Christian and the reality of that means genuine sacrifices, like the ones in Luke 9. Maybe you could think about Dave and Jenny who are uh, missionaries sent out from this church working in Pakistan. And maybe you could pray for them or support them financially. Maybe you could just take a bit of time to read about the persecuted church in China or Iraq and try to understand what these verses really mean for the people that live there. And thirdly, you might disagree with what I said about the causes of the London riots. But if you did agree that there was some truth in what I said about people in Britain wanting generic morality but not being prepared to make sacrifices for that, perhaps you could contribute that view to the conversations that are going to take place over the coming weeks and months about what happened. Let's be people that talk about the Ten Commandments. Let's be people who talk about the times when Jesus wooed and encouraged people to himself. But let's also talk about the times when Jesus went, bam, 
for this to work properly, for you to have a moral society that you want, you need to make some sacrifices. And finally, if you're not a Christian, I talked a little bit about the advert for Christianity at the beginning. And actually within context, I'd still argue that the advert for Christianity remains unrivaled. And I'd I'd really encourage you, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, remember the cost involved. I'm not going to hide it from you. It's there in Luke 9. We just read it together. But do read the whole of Luke probably only take you about an hour and I really challenge you not to to not be impressed by what Jesus did and what he offered and what he still offers us today. Amen.